0: My name is Jackie Lamport. Today is Thursday, March 11th. Welcome to the Capital Daily Podcast. Today on the show.
1: You have the car people, and then you have the bike people, and I think the the issue is how we share, we, we share a limited public resource.
0: We dig into the question that has been separating Victorians for years. Is there a war on cars? We reached out to three different people with three different viewpoints and backgrounds and leave the opinion forming to you, the listener. Today's episode is brought to you by Nest by Chard Development. And before we get into the show, I just want to encourage you once again to leave a rating and review. We really appreciate it when you do. Tarek called the podcast Victorious Pulse, and I like that, and I might steal that. Thank you so much, Tarek. Uh, Leave a review and a rating. It helps us a lot, and if you enjoy the podcast, that's the second best way for you to help. The first, obviously, is to tell your family and friends, which I encourage you to do. Thank you so much, and we'll get to the show. The debate over transit priority is not a new story in the city. Bike lanes are a hot point of controversy. You love them or you hate them. And the public transit in the city and outer regions, for many, leaves a lot to be desired. But as the West Shore focuses on rapid transit to the downtown and the Victoria City Council causes a heated public outcry over the Clover Point plans, the transit conversation is at the top of our minds. Unfortunately, the conversation doesn't always hit the right points to reach agreement. A Times colonist reader wrote into their letter to the editor section claiming that there were no signs saying welcome to Victoria in any of the major entrances to the city. The reason being, of course, that you're not welcome to bring your automobile. But another reader did respond saying that that was a nice conspiracy theory, but there is a welcome to Victoria sign driving south on Highway 17. So today, we're going to provide a reasonable approach to the debate with facts and experts. We'll bring all the viewpoints we can to the table and play them side by side. After listening to this episode, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Where did you stand on the argument before? Where do you stand now? And did we miss vital points? You'll have an opportunity to contribute to a follow-up episode if you listen to the end for details. And now, in the corner representing Car Alternatives, Dean Murdoch the founder of Better Mobility Saanich and former Saanich councillor. In defense of cars and in favor of balance, we have Stephen Andrew, a councillor for the city of Victoria. And lastly, from the side of city planning and research, Andy Yan, the director of the city program at Simon Fraser University and an urban planning expert. We started off by asking each of the guests if they believe that there is in fact a war on cars. First, we'll hear from Dean Murdoch.
2: No, I don't. I think that what gets lost in this debate is um, that many of the folks who are involved in some kind of advocacy are drivers themselves, or at least will commute by automobile on occasion. Um, What I think this, like describing it as a war on the car, it's way more confrontational than I think that it needs to be. A lot of the folks who are in the business of, well, not a business, who are, who advocate on behalf of pedestrians and cyclists and other forms of non-motorized mobility. They're really interested in, in balancing the investments that are made in road infrastructure. So it, it's not about taking anything away from cars. It's about giving those who travel on foot or on bike, scooter, in a wheelchair or pushing a stroller a safe and comfortable traveling environment. And, and really, it, it's just balancing that road use for all tr- forms of mobility, all travelers in that roadway, ensuring that they can get around safely and comfortably, in addition to those who are driving a vehicle.
0: And now, Steven and Andrew. No. Next, of course, Andy Yan.
1: I don't think that there is necess- a war on cars as much as I think that there's a, I think a conflict of motive. that I think a lot of times, I think we are in this kind of ongoing evolution of how we get around. And I think that it gives the kind of sense that there is this inherent conflict as opposed to the change that is happening towards how people get around a city, as well as, I think, the the shift from, I think, what used to be a highly car-oriented view of how people could or should get around towards a much larger perspective of the various modes people can get around, which includes uh, transit, but of course, bicycles and walking.
0: This will continue to be the order for answers as we go forward. The next question was what they believe the most effective form of transportation is for a growing city.
2: Well, I mean, I think that it's clear that uh, as the city becomes more congested, as the capital region becomes more congested, we need to look at alternative forms of getting around. We're on an island, and we're at the south end of that island, so there's not going to be more available land to make bigger, wider roadways. I think we need to get more efficient in how we use those roadways. So, Obviously, there will always be a need for motor vehicles, and maybe those are going to be electric vehicles. Uh, No one's suggesting that we're going to shift away from that entirely, but I do think that what we're seeing is a a real desire to increase the ability to get around by other modes. So for people who don't have a private automobile, public transportation is often a viable option for traveling longer distances, and that means investing in, in more frequent route uh, services and uh, and creating a safe and comfortable place for people to get to while they 're waiting for the bus then we 've also got people who want to move around uh, by bicycle by scooter, and uh, you know uh, bike lanes are becoming much more common around the capital region, protected bike lanes, buffered bike lanes, creating that safe traveling space for people who are moving around on bike. And there are a number of people who choose to move by bike, not only because uh, it's the most affordable option for travel for them, but they're finding it much more efficient. And so creating that safe traveling space for them really means that they're able to get to the place that they need to go more safely, easily and, and quickly. So it's it's really convenient. And then, of course, there's people who are traveling on foot or maybe they're they're in a wheelchair. They're pushing a stroller equipping our communities with adequate walking infrastructure so sidewalks ensuring that um, they're contiguous Um, I live in Saanich and one of the problems we encounter all over Saanich is that there are places where there are great sidewalks but they come to an end often mid-block and so connecting those traveling spaces with uh, a contiguous walking surface
3: Well, I think it's a mixed use, really, and I think that's the issue that we need to look at. And we have to understand the demographics of the city of which we live in. And we have a lot of seniors in this town. So I'm assuming that your question on the war on cars really comes from the bike lanes that are being put in and the recent decision over Clover Point. I believe that there are differing opinions, and I think we need to understand the needs and i think that very often we can miss that as able-bodied individuals we think okay great you know we can go running down to the store you know in, in just a couple of minutes or jump on a bike and go somewhere and not everyone can do that i've got friends that have multiple sclerosis i have uh, uh, people that uh, have parkinson's uh, disease i have friends who are seniors who really have hard time walking, you know, without a walker, there are many, many different abilities and disabilities, and we need to focus on those.
1: I think the most effective form of transportation uh, for a growing city is actually, I think, denoted and shaped by its land use plans, that I think that it is actually uh, how important. It's not about just transportation in terms of how roads and streets are laid out, but really the types of land use and densities that are in a city and the mix that occurs that really help shape what kinds of transportation uh, and, and the types of modes that are needed in a community.
0: Getting right down to it, we asked our guests what they believe is causing gridlock.
2: Well, I think that, you know, gridlock is a product of movement by single occupant vehicles. And I think that the more we see that proliferation of that kind of use, the the more we're going to see our streets congested with, with vehicles. There are more efficient ways for people to be traveling. I think, you know, when Victoria, when the capital region was still you know, relatively unpopulated or or had a much smaller population, it might have been easier to get around in a single-occupant vehicle in a short amount of time. And, you know, there are halcyon days that people recall where they were able to park immediately in front of their destination. Well, let's be realistic. We're at a population of approaching half a million in the South Island it's just not practical for everybody to be traveling around in a single occupant vehicle, nor are they going to have the luxury of being able to park directly in front of wherever they need to get to. I think the priority we need to to have is ensure, ensuring that everybody's able to get to where they need to go safely, comfortably and conveniently. I know not everybody's going to be able to travel by bike. Not everybody can practically take the bus. Most people can walk or get around on on foot or wheel, however they choose to travel, but that's not going to be an option for everyone. And I don't mean to suggest that everybody needs to choose alternatives, but I do think we need to make investments that make alternatives more desirable because the reality is traffic isn't going to get lighter on its own. We need to make sure that there are other traveling options that are going to free up that road space for the people who do need to use an automobile to get around.
3: As a driver, I'm gonna I'm gonna go from two different points of view because I think it depends on what m- mode of transportation you're using. So as a driver, when I come down and I see the bike lanes and some of the adjustments that we've made to incorporate those, and and that means you know uh, right turns now not being allowed or uh, maybe the timing of the lights are not great. So I I think that we've created a bit of an issue there, um, and we're not, and traffic is not flowing as well as it could in the downtown area for drivers. Um, for cyclists, again, we we have some challenges. Uh, I I think that um, maybe we need to revisit the amount of time that we have on lights. I mean, you know, I've I've sat on lights and gone through. A uh, light is a cyclist, and I'm the only person and, and it's holding up a lot of people. Um, then there are other areas where we're looking at um, when you're coming for instance, when you come down when you' when you're coming southbound on Wharf Street and you are turning left onto Fort, there is only one space really that a cyclist can sit in. And it's it can be very confusing, especially if that's a very busy area. And when you're coming back down Fort Street to turn right onto Wharf Street, if people know that's an issue, getting into the flow of traffic for cyclists can be an issue. So I think we need to review them. I asked in a meeting recently, I said, hey, did the consultant actually cycle through the bike network after it was completed and – I'm not so sure they they have. I mean, they 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 hadn't at that time I'm told, but you know, I think we need to it's not perfect. We need to work on it. I guess that's what I'm saying. And we need to to adjust it. We need to find I I guess it's a theme I've always had, Jackie, and that is uh we need to look for balance. Yes. Let's get people onto their bikes. Let's make this the most cycling friendly city that we can. But let's not do it at the expense of other people.
1: I think that what causes gridlock is really well. I mean, it's 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 cars. It's 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 fixed in. Well, granted, you know, one one has also seen gridlock with bicycles before, and I think that it's 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 really you know a, a, a system through which. I think is a is 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 where it's where the system becomes saturated by by one particular mode of transport uh, of 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 transportation. This in this case a car. Um, without necessarily, I think the type of shift into other modes that are more efficient. That I think that part of this is an efficiency challenge in terms of you reach a certain saturation for cars. Uh, in this case, uh, as what most people are familiar with in terms of gridlock. But then how that can be met. Or solved by a by an alternative, uh, more efficient means of getting people uh, from where they want from from where they are to where they need to go.
0: Next up, what do they think the impact of taking away the reliance on cars would be?
2: Well, I think for some people who have traveled that way for decades it's going to be uh, an inconvenience it will be a, a significant shift and you know they may still choose to travel that way and for some folks they may not have an alternative so i think that we need to ensure that they're able to get around as conveniently as possible but the reality is that we've got busy streets and we've got a lot of people trying to get to where they need to go and so ensuring that uh, that their the journey for the People who are in an automobile is convenient. I think is a priority, but acknowledging that there are folks who are not able to travel by automobile and giving them a fair shake as well.
3: From my conversations with those with disabilities, I think it would be significant um, because um, you know I I'm thinking specifically of a father who can't leave his son for any amount of time he has to he has to be with them 24/7 cuz that's the care if we reduce the ability for people to use their cars in the area then then that's going to be a challenge that that's my main concern and and also if we make it if we are competing against other municipalities for business for instance we need to ensure that we we do not create barriers to that access that again, and I think if we do it in a balanced approach, we're okay. But if we start um, if we start blocking cars coming in from downtown, and the other municipalities, as you suggest, are using their cars all the time, they're going to go to more car-friendly places.
1: That's the issue is you ought not to immediately take away uh, any particular mode, but actually have a means of shifting mode of of providing alternatives, viable alternatives uh, to the existing mode of transportation. In this case, when we talk about cars, um, you have to provide, I think, viable alternatives. For why people are driving cars, I mean, in this case, most of the time it's say people who are taking their cars to get to work. It's ensuring that there is a transportation system that is, in, in say, public transit, that it fits in the schedules of those who are getting or as many people as you as 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 you can uh, to their work schedules, but then also where they to the places where they need to go. And I think that it's in that combination that you can, I think, uh, begin the slow shift in terms of behavioral change.
0: We'll take a quick break here to hear a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Nest by Chard Development. Nest's prime location at Cook and Yates places four incredible neighborhoods at your doorstep. Explore the heart of the urban arts scene in Fernwood, relax with a leafy walk through Fairfield, enjoy all the conveniences of the downtown commercial district, and experience the funky retail vibe of North Park. Casting concrete by Tri-Development and elevated by distinguished finishes, Nest offers a collection of mid-rise homes with expansive balconies that extend living beyond the interior. One-bedroom homes from the low 400s, two-bedroom homes from the low 700s. Register today for more information. That's www.nestbychard.com. And do you want to help support Capital Daily's local journalism and connect your business with our engaged and curious Greater Victoria audience of almost 50,000? Email our partnerships team at advertising at capitaldaily.ca. And back to the questions. The next thing we asked was what other cities or regions they thought we're heading in the right direction?
2: Well, you know, I I think that this is an issue that most communities continue to grapple with. And we see larger jurisdictions that are way ahead of us in the capital that have had to confront traffic congestion as a reality of their growth model for years. And so that, you know, obviously there's going to be cities like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, New York. These are all very large examples, big cities that had to reconcile the use of the private automobile and its impact on on traffic congestion many many years ago we're nowhere near uh, those kinds of challenges in the capital region. But I think we can follow the model that some of those communities chose to to set or that maybe learn from the th- mistakes that they made as we begin to accommodate growth, as we acknowledge that our streets are becoming increasingly congested. Let's look at Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, and some of those big cities, certainly other examples that exist in, in Europe that have modeled the way on on the best ways to ensure that every type of mobility is accommodated, that all travellers are able to get around. I don't think that we're ever going to be in a situation of congestion that's on par with Vancouver or larger cities, and let's hope that we never get to that place. But let's also bear in mind that we need to be thoughtful about the infrastructure investments that we make so that we don't end up as congested as some of those large jurisdictions.
3: I think Ottawa is. From my time in Ottawa, uh, I really appreciated looking at the way they they were putting their bike lanes in, and and they didn't build them to the level that we did to begin with. They they temporarily tried lanes to see if they were working, rather than put major infrastructure in, and then they can can adjust it. Toronto does that as well, by the way, and then you know, and people complain. Everyone's going to complain let's be honest no one's going to be 100% happy with the way things are going but um again if we if we do it i think in a reasonable phased plan then we'll 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 get buy in it's aspirational i think to 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 get to that situation where we have what i would say is um emission vehicles that's how i would like to call them it would be good to get to non emission vehicles like electric cars and that. That's really where where I think we're going anyway. Are we going there quick enough? That's a debate that we're going to be having. I mean, even the city's looking at turning its vehicles into zero emission vehicles. But I think we, if we're going to do this, we successfully, we need to get everybody on board. And I find that if we impose our view, our ideology on the general population, or we try to go this alone, we're, we're going to have challenges. We need to look at being respectful for those that we're leading, uh, governing for.
1: Actually, one of the really interesting stories is actually the success within metropolitan Vancouver. I mean, one has to actually point out that within metropolitan Vancouver, uh, most other cities around North America actually saw a decline in public transportation use. But then in the case of Vancouver, it was stable, if not slightly growing uh, before the pandemic. And I think that that's actually one of the really good news stories. Uh, another way to think about it is that when we talk about metropolitan Vancouver, which has about 25, uh, 20% of, the, of those who uh, of those take transit to work, um, and it's, it's actually a, a good news story uh, in terms of, it's the highest percentage of every of any city on the West Coast of North America. So I think that there's there, there's actually the fact that we are actually a good news story in that where we've placed transit, we've also placed placed it to place to to places where people work, but also where people live. So I think that, that that there is something to be said about the way that we've done our the type of planning that we've done in the in the region for the last thirty years.
0: And lastly, we asked what they think the right mix of cars, public transit, biking, and pedestrian access is.
2: Well, I think, you know, in terms of meeting our climate goals, we need to put a stronger emphasis on alternative forms of mobility. Uh, we don't have heavy industry in the capital region, so most of our greenhouse gas emissions are directly directly attributable to transportation. And so when you've got uh, a number of internal combustion engines emitting greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere, that's going to be a major contributor to climate change. So clearly for that reason alone, there needs to be a shift to other kinds of mobility and electric vehicles are providing uh, an alternative form of getting around that is less emissions intensive. But looking at ways to to get travelers moving more efficiently, like using public transit, uh, is certainly a way to, to balance that load uh, so that we're not taking up uh, that traveling, that vehicle space with single occupant vehicles, but rather we're moving people more efficiently by having them uh, on on a bus where you can have up to 50 passengers in times when it's COVID safe or or safe under public health measures to do that. Uh, Similarly, people who are able to get around on their own power, if they're using a, a bicycle, if they're using a scooter, walking, they're in a wheelchair, whatever the case may be, Uh, That is a much less emission-intensive type of travel. In fact, it's emission-free. And it's often one of the most desirable ways to get around because it means you're not fighting vehicle traffic to get to where you need to go. You can get out and enjoy the community. You can interact with your neighbours or folks that you meet on the street. And it's ideally going to be a much more comfortable experience, provided that there's safe and adequate infrastructure for you to be able to get around. So I think... We've seen a significant emphasis on motorized travel, particular for, particularly for single occupant vehicles, over the course of this region's development. And Sanich, where I live, is uh, particularly guilty of that. It's a community that was largely built at a time when the car was king. Uh, many of our neighborhoods were constructed without adequate sidewalks. Uh, very little consideration for anybody who was moving by any other means than the private automobile And we know now that that's just not functional from an equity perspective. There are many people who are just not in a position to be able to afford to travel by private automobile. And so we need to be thinking differently about our rights of way and how we give people the option to to travel by whatever means they're able to get around and ensuring that they're able to do that comfortably and safely. And so I I don't know that there's an exact target to get to. I mean, I know we have greenhouse gas emission targets, uh, reduction targets that we're trying to achieve. And that's going to mean really shifting the emphasis towards alternative forms of mobility. I think we're in a great position in the capital region to be able to achieve that. We've started a blueprint already in terms of um, protected bike lanes and, and creating those connections, even between the municipi- the 13 municipalities uh, that are responsible for our corridors, creating those linkages to ensure that people are able to get around safely and making those investments in public transit. We We're really fortunate to have really uh, relatively pleasant weather most of the year. So people are able to get out, they can walk to bus stops, they can venture out on foot or on bike most of the year round. And it really gives us an opportunity to ensure that everybody who's choosing to travel can do it in a way where where they're gonna feel comfortable getting to their destination.
3: Well, it, it really depends. I mean, if you're talking about Victoria, um, that's gonna to vary to London. I mean, when I go to London, England, I only use public transit and um and taxis maybe. And walking. You know? But that's a very different city because everything's close together. Yeah. If I want to go to Costco, um, likely I'm not gonna take my bike for the very simple reason. One, I won't get everything into the yeah. in into the bike when I'm coming home. Um or if I want to um, take my um, partner's artwork somewhere, it's not going to go on a bike. So it it really, again, I I, I you know I mean it, if we're getting to no use on cars in 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 the area, and again I think that that is just completely out to lunch. But I. I really, I really couldn't call that. I think it, it's going to have to be, um, it's going to have to be based on uh, on the needs needs of the community. And you know, we we do not have as an extensive public transit system as they would have in London or even Toronto, for instance, or even yeah, New York right. City. So um, we can again be aspirational to get to there, but right now we we don't have the financial resources to do that.
1: I think it's not necessarily one of mix. It's about priorities. And I think that, I think a lot of times, I think it's been thought of as the priority is around first pedestrians, then it comes bicyclists, then public transit, and then cars. I think that that's really how folks see, not, again, not necessarily the question of mix, but a question of priorities in terms of your transportation network. Uh, But then of course, it's only really how that type of prioritization is mixed in with the existing land use and the types of densities that happen in the community.
0: Coming from the center aisle, Andy Yan actually had some more words to say about what he thinks about the fight between cars and cyclists in general.
1: You have the car people, and then you have the bike people, and I think the the issue is, you know, it's 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 a question of how we share. We, we share a limited public resource, a limited public good, and I think that this is actually the larger philosophical question. Is when it comes to the question of sharing, we're not doing that very well, right? And 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 I think that's really going into the role of civic leadership. Right? It is trying to, I think, provide a certain sense of empathy, a certain understanding of why people drive and why people bike. That why people drive isn't necessarily lack of a moral character and those that bike uh, is, needs, needs to be protected. Like, you know, a, a bicyclist versus a 2,000 uh, pound metal vehicle is not really much of a contest. And I think that that's really where it's more a question of civic leadership. I think wars occur because of a lack of leader of civic leadership, right? I think, and I think that that's really the craft, right? And that's that's really the type of communities that we change. Is, like I said, wars wars occur because of a lack of leadership, right? Because I think that you know leaders are in part, by definition, connected towards being peacemakers.
0: We'll leave you to your thoughts on this topic, but I am curious to hear them. If you want to be a voice in the follow-up episode, we are looking for your opinions. We'd love to hear what you thought about the argument before, where you stand now, and any of the points that we missed that you believe to be vital. Also, how do you feel as a cyclist on the road? How do you feel as a driver on the road? You can email a 30-60 to second voice clip to me, Jackie, at capitaldaily.ca. That's Jackie, J-A-C-K-I-E, at CapitalDaily.ca, Look forward to the follow-up episode on this very heated topic, the war on cars. And in today's Capital Daily News Review. Today, Victoria Council looks at the plan to end 24-7 sheltering in certain city parks by March 31st. Bylaws typically allow for tents to be set up overnight, but force campers to dismantle them in the morning but following the directions of Dr. Bonnie Henry on encampments, Council suspended that bylaw last spring to support sheltering in place during the pandemic. The March 31st date is based on the city and province's self-imposed deadline to get housing for all unhoused locals. Advocates are calling for the city not to displace tents on the 31st, saying that sufficient housing has not actually been offered to all campers and displacement will only worsen their situations. Also, the province is opening registration for seniors 85 and over four days earlier. Instead of registration starting this coming Monday, they will start today at noon. The province says this is because the registration process for the first age cohort went much faster than anticipated, despite a slow start on Monday. If you want more stories like this in your inbox every morning, subscribe to the Capital Daily newsletter. You can do so at capitaldaily.ca. Thanks again for spending your time with us for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to leave a rating and a review. Also subscribe so that you don't miss an episode going forward. We post new shows every Monday to Friday. My name is Jackie Lamport. This is the Capital Daily Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow.